0: I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this February the 17th. We are six weeks into our legislative session, which is heavily controlled by Democrats this time around. So we want to check in and see what ideas are really taking on some steam and how everyone is getting along. Hopefully everyone gets along here tonight. Our panel includes Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, George Brockler, former district attorney for the 18th Judicial District in Colorado, and current host of his own show on 710 KNUS Talk Radio, we have Jesse Paul, legislative reporter at The Colorado Sun, as well as Summer Nettles, chief inspiration officer at Greater Purpose Media. I know this show is about all of Colorado but when a high schooler is shot while leaving school at 2:30 in the afternoon allegedly allegedly by other teenagers who were in what police say was a stolen car how can we not talk about this at a time when our legislature says making Colorado safer is a top priority
1: patty well first of all let's admit that school shootings are not limited to urban areas and in fact The mass tragedies we've seen at schools, not just in Colorado, but across the country, are rarely in urban areas. So this happened outside East High School. We found out that he's a member of the soccer team. We don't know a whole lot. He was sitting outside in a car outside school when he was shot from this car. We know of two other teenagers are in custody, but we don't know exactly what they're going to be charged with. But East High School, if you follow, they have been really careful. They have not had other inci- many other incidents in that school. We haven't had shootings there. We have shootings in the suburbs. We have shootings in Aurora. But East High really is careful with their kids. They know they're in an urban environment and they work hard to keep them safe. So when we talk about what we're doing about guns, we're not just talking about inner cities. We're talking about everywhere in this state where trouble can happen. There were a lot of shootings at school this week. But when you do hear it so close to
0: home it again, ah, George.
2: Yeah, I got two high schoolers right now. I've, I'll have a, kids in high school for the next really five years with my youngest. Uh, I can't envision having to take that on as a parent and wonder if I drop my kids off today at school. I no longer have to just worry about will there be a mass shooter on the inside, but will they even be hurt? On the outside, uh, there's no doubt that crime has surged and continues to move upward in the Denver metro area and really, frankly, across the state. We should not be surprised that that also includes juvenile offenders. The prolifera- prol- proliferation... It's just one word, isn't it? You got it. Yeah, <laughs> proliferation. Of, uh, and the availability of firearms is something that we've got to contend with. I'm a Second Amendment guy, but uh, guns are just so easy to get by the people who should not get them. There's got to be
3: an answer. We just haven't found it.
0: Jesse, you're in the Statehouse every day, and there are a lot of gun violence prevention bills being floated around.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the dominant issues at the Capitol this session. And Democrats have said that they really want to push through kind of a slate of measures. So raising the age uh, for purchasing guns to 21 for rifles and, and shotguns, it's already 21 for handguns. Uh, making it easier to sue gun manufacturers is something that's on the table. There's a waiting periods bill uh, that, that's out there that will create a space between when you can purchase a weapon and when you can access it. And then of course there's the assault weapons uh, ban on, on assault weapons sale and transfer that's been floated out there. And that's quite controversial. I don't know if we're actually gonna see that one, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, if, if they can get Governor Jared Polis on board, he's already expressed a lot of skepticism about the legislation.
4: Mm-hmm. Summer. I mean. I think this is an interesting topic, especially because I'm a Chicagoan, like born and raised. And so gun violence, especially reporting um, and uh, being at NBC News in Chicago, um, the way I see gun violence is very different. I think really, like statistically, the Colorado, I I think the Colorado's auto theft prevention authority is reporting that uh, violent crime across the state is actually down by about 500 instances from 20. 21 to 2022 so um i think i think that's important to consider what is up is non-consensual sexual assault and those crimes are up between the ages the victims are between the ages of 10 and 17 and when we talk about that 15 percent rise in violent crime we're talking about perpetrators of that non-sexual assault also being between the ages of 10 and 17 and I don't want to deter people from being invested in gun violence, but I also want to alert people that we really do have a sexual assault issue in Colorado.
0: Thanks for bringing that up as well. Uh, Governor Polis has made it through six weeks with his majority Democratic legislature, and some of the lawmakers in his own party are challenging him,
2: George. Yeah, that's true. There's a bill right now that has to do with increasing bed space and funding for the Department of Corrections. Um, And that's an interesting one because you have bipartisan opposition and bipartisan support for that bill. I think that makes a difference. Um, I think the other thing that we're gonna see is that the governor is gonna start to feel, and I believe this, he's got eyes on the prize. He's got eyes on a national office. And so the things that he's gonna consider are not just how do they play right here in the state, but how do they play on a broader national discussion. And so I think that's gonna change. I think the legislature may do him a solid. And they may offer him several opportunities for him to use that veto pen and look like that moderate, strong leader that's looking out for the best interests of middle Colorado. Uh,
3: I think all of that stuff is possible uh, with this legislative session.
0: You're there every day. What are, you, what are you seeing, Jesse?
3: Yeah, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I'm stuck in there. I, it's interesting, the presidential ambitions thing. I personally, you know, covering the, the governor for years, don't think he'll run if, if President Biden runs for re-election. But obviously, it's part of those uh, discussions and, and certainly, you know, part of the political context under which he's debating whether or not to, to sign bills or, or, or veto them. You know, there, there's a ton of legislation that the Democrats are peppering the governor with this year, or at least talking about peppering him with, that he's already expressed, uh, you know, discontent with. And I think that's really fascinating because over the previous four years he's been governor, a lot of legislation just doesn't even get introduced to kind of avoid having that that clash between them but between rent control I mentioned the assault weapons bill earlier that's another one where where there's some clashing and then there was an introduction of a bill for safe use sites in Denver so this would be locations where people could use drugs under supervision aimed at preventing overdoses really controversial topic that's been kind of floated around the legislature and the governor's already said I don't want to see this. So they're they're pushing forward in any ways. I think they're they're getting a little more bold in terms of what they send the governor and and making him make these decisions.
0: Summer and I were talking earlier, and you say you wouldn't call this group
4: of Democrats progressive. No, I think they're aggressive. I think what we're actually looking at is a group of people who are learning from past mistakes, and they are willing to put it all on the line because they see the twenty-year. The 20-year mark, and that's something that's been absent, I think, from our policy making for, in every vein. When we don't think about what now looks like in 20 years, and we don't legislate from that place, we only legislate from the one year or till the next election. We get ourselves in trouble. And at this point, even in terms of like car and auto theft, we don't have, we no longer have in Colorado the. the grace period to, to do that, to ignore things for long periods of time. It's a blessing that we're growing more slowly now than we did in 1990 as a state, because it does give us a chance if our population stops increasing to kind of catch up. But we really have to have long-term vision here.
0: Mm-hmm. Patty, the, the governor has a long-term vision, he says he does. But there are
1: some people that are like, oh, wait a second on that. What's well, interesting, we forget how long Polis has been in public office since he read, ran for the Board of Education. And I just happened to turn on CNN since we last were on this show, and there was Jared Polis. And I wouldn't say he looked pres- presidential because he wasn't being called to speak about that, although of course they asked some questions about it, but he is really good on his feet when he's speaking on something like that. He's also dressing much better than he used to. You may recall the days when GQ said he was the worst-dressed congressman. And he see, he comes across smart, energetic. He was talking about affordable housing here. He was talking about his third term, which was, I mean, his second term, which was kind of the way they were segueing into would he run for president. He was actually on his way to the White House, not to test it out, but because governors were meeting there. But he acquitted himself really, really well, and I think he does take a fairly long-term View of Colorado, but I also think in the short term he's got some really tough things to handle at the legislature with bills he's just not going to like. Do you think it's going to get contentious, Jesse?
3: I do, and and I think again, George mentioned kind of maybe the legislature will do him some favors and make him kill those bills. But Mm -hmm. in a Democratic presidential primary, there you know voters are looking for a progressive candidate, right? So if he's saying no to rent control or to assault weapons, that could both help him maybe in a general, but hurt him in a primary. So, again, the political calculus is very fascinating. And I don't even know if he's going to run. If he does, you know, things get shaken up.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there is <clears throat> a plan floating around this session that calls for big changes to Colorado's primary election process. Senate Bill 101. Jesse, you dove really deep into 101 this week, including talking with a big name Coloradan who's backing this.
3: Yeah, Ken Theory, former Davida CEO, has poured millions into a lot of democracy-related initiatives in Colorado in recent years. He's backing Senate Bill 101. It's probably going to go down in flames, but it would, it's interesting it would get rid of the caucus and assembly process in Colorado, make it so that candidates could only gather petition signatures in order to get on the ballot. And you know, this would really change wholesale uh, th- how things are done, especially for the Republican Party, which you've seen a lot of emphasis on the caucus assembly process in recent years and, and a lot of contention coming out of that. He's also looking to maybe change up Thank you how the presidential primary is done in Colorado. People might remember back in 2020, there were a lot of Democratic candidates who dropped out between when ballots arrived in voters' mailboxes and when election day actually happened. I think like 150,000 votes were basically just thrown out. And Mr. Theory certainly is looking at ways to, or, or would like the legislature to look at ways to fix that. And even if the legislature doesn't act, we know that Kent Theory will spend a lot of money to get the, get ballots, ballot measures like this on the ballot before voters, let voters decide if the legislature won't act. So even if we don't get anything done at the legislature this year, voters might be voting on this stuff in 2024, big changes to the election process.
0: It
4: would be a huge change, Summer. Yeah, it would be like an incredible change. Um, And I think it's just a reality check. Um, Again, it's about looking at the way we've done things in the past and whether or not that's realistic. So even on the federal level, when you look at Joe Biden evaluating Iowa as our caucus point, right, like you have to know that like, Iowans are not too happy about that. And overall, there are staunch p- people who believe that this is where we should caucus, even though the Democratic Party doesn't look like farmers anymore. You know? um, and we're not uh, electing Jimmy Carter. Like He's not on the ballot right now. We're in the era of Black Lives Matter. We're in the era of, f- for good or ill, like, what is you know, wokeness? What is awareness? Um, and, and we're trying to galvanize voters who have been historically disenfranchised. And when you do that, you have to evaluate how you bring the cream to the top, you know, and, and it's just time. So I, I'm with reevaluating how we do this. And, and I think Colorado can be a, a trailblazer like we always are, honestly.
1: We are in many things. hmm hmm Patty. Well, we have Ken Theory to thank for the fact that redistricting went so much better because he had pushed those ballot measures, both for Congress, and the State House, and we have fairly fair, I would say, redistricts uh, that we're going to now. So this is a really interesting issue because when you have more than a third of Colorado's voters are unaffiliated, so, and you're stuck with primaries for the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, now unaffiliated voters can choose one of those to vote in, in the primary, but why not make it more open? Because if more than a third of Coloradans don't identify with either party, shouldn't it be easier to get candidates from those two parties and then the other minority parties in? The thing with the caucus is, it did give people with time and energy an opportunity to get in if they didn't have as much money, if they got an early start. But if the proposal comes out right, that petitioning is easier than it used to be, just in the sense of who you can get to sign, this could really level the playing field, not just for Democrats and Republicans, but any candidate who wants to run. Mm-hmm.
0: BARBARA Kirkmeyer Republican is a strong proponent for doing away with the caucus system.
2: Yeah, the the bill's going to go the way of the dodo here. And the reason (laughs) that it did is because you have Democrats and Republicans from a bipartisan nature saying, we don't want changes to this particular system. And most of those people went through the caucus and the assembly system. I think what's fascinating from the Republican point of view is you now have two camps inside that are fighting to do the opposite thing. You have one group that says, let's get rid of the primary. And with a 75% of vote of the central committee members, they could do just that, maybe coming up in the next year. And if they do that, there's no primary. It'll be 4,000 people at the state assembly that decide who the nominees are gonna be for the different statewide offices, and it'll be little county caucuses and other things that decide DA and and sheriff and county commissioner. On the other side, you have Senator Kirkmeyer who's saying, let's do away with the caucus and assembly system, let's go primary only. Some say that's a pay-to-play system where you have to get so many signatures, people have to go out of pocket to get them. Uh, I had Senator Kirkmeyer on the radio and she says, I disagree, I met more people out in the neighborhoods trying to get signatures than I ever did going through just the regular small assembly process. The thing that remember about Kent Theory is this guy's a visionary when it comes to reforming elections and I think his ultimate goal, I really do believe this, is to moderate candidates. HE WANTS TO FIGURE OUT A WAY TO KEEP THE EXTREMES FROM DOMINATING THE BALLOT. AND THE BEST WAY TO DO THAT IS TO PROBABLY ELIMINATE THE ASSEMBLY AND CAUCUS SYSTEM. I THINK YOU SHOULD LOOK FOR OTHER BIG CHANGES, TOO, LIKE WITH THE PRESIDENTIAL, PROBABLY RANKED CHOICE VOTING. THAT'S SOMETHING WE OUGHT TO DEBATE AT SOME POINT HERE. AND I THINK THE OTHER SUPER NOVEL THING THAT COULD BE COMING, WE HAVEN'T TALKED ABOUT IT YET, IS WHAT DOES A BALLOT LOOK LIKE IF ALL OF THE PARTY AFFILIATIONS ARE MISSING FROM IT? Mm -hmm.
0: I heard about that. I had heard, Jesse, that uh, the ranked choice voting might be introduced this session.
3: There is a chance. I, okay. I think it's, it's probably a distant chance. I don't know if there's enough support among Democrats and Republicans to get that passed. I think there's detractors on both sides. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that local election officials are a little freaked out about having to change uh, things so quickly before the 2024 presidential election. Okay. So I, I think it'll take a few years for these things to get ironed out, but certainly there's a lot of talk, and, and that oftentimes leads to change.
0: Our governor is really trying to set a plan. And you see these headlines this week that $3 billion, Summer, is the amount of money that people who own large buildings
4: are going to have to pay out to retrofit their buildings from gas to electric. I mean, the gas to electric uh, debate is huge right now. Everybody is looking at their oven like it's Satan. Like, oh, my God, it's a gas oven. I have a new gas oven, and I do like it. I'm not proposing. I'm not saying anything. But, um, you know, induction stoves are cool. Um, But I would also say that, like, in in terms of the necessity to retrofit, we do have to get ahead of it. Again, um, we're looking at... Like the reevaluation of um, the Colorado River Pact, right, and how how these seven states are going to divvy up water, um, and even now when we think about local hyperlocal issues like like the conservation easement, like creating a new golf course in Park Hill. If the federal government comes in and says you have to you have to use your water like this, what is that going to look like for cities and towns across Colorado, and what is it going to look like for developers, and what is it going to look like for current buildings? So if we have to make these investments, then it's it's now or never. It's not going to go away, though. Yeah,
0: you're talking about the Park Hill Golf Course. Do we, which will go before Denver voters? Yes, also in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Do we start developing that for housing?
1: dense housing, or do we keep it a golf course? Right. It's not a golf course now. It is just 155 acres of open space, which is what some proponents want to keep it. I don't think anyone's actually talking about returning it to a golf course now. Even open space in Parkland does need some water, but um, you see in Aurora, people are getting very conscious of where do we want to use water, which is such a precious resource. You're getting rid of lawns. You have to really fight to have a golf course now, or maybe, Mm-hmm. Use some liquid assets with the council people and the commission to make sure you can get it through. But we are aware of how what a tr- tricky resource that is, energy and gas. I mean, I also look at my gas stove, which doesn't work because <laughs> because of the pandemic something blew and I can't get the new part. So I am being very um, conscientious. But you see, you've got to get people. Who can afford to go get new appliances? You know, they're going to get stuck still paying those hefty gas bills, but they need help to even get pay those bills, much less get energy-efficient appliances. So there's so many, many, so many tricky things. But we have to start planning for the future, looking 20 years down the line with water, with power. Mm-hmm. George.
2: Are you using the George Foreman grill? I mean, what are you doing to cook your food if it's not the Join gas? Going to Mom's. Okay, (laughs) that's a good call. Listen, uh, this was not only predictable, it was predicted when this 2021 bill rolled out. The rulemaking was anticipated. They intended to empower these people to make big sweeping changes and then also to then assess what those were. $3 $3 billion is real dollars, that's a lot of money. And I think even the governor's office had sort of a WTF moment when they looked at the timing of it and said, well, well we disagree that this has to be done within a certain period of time. When you put that in the context of even President Biden in the State of the Union address, uh, maybe using his inside voice on the outside saying, hey, we're still gonna need fossil fuels for 10 years, you get the feeling that there's a legitimate war on the fossil fuel industry that's gonna come at the expense of the people that can afford that uh, increase in energy costs the least. Um, I got to tell you, when I look around and see the cost of this, that and the other, it's no shock to me that more and more businesses and more and more people are rethinking the steps they want to take in the future in terms of investment and longevity into the city. I think it's a worry.
0: In terms of people coming and relocating here, businesses or individuals. That's right. That's right. Do we scare people away, Jesse, by the aggressive plans set forth?
3: You know what's interesting is that the governor has talked a lot about the only way to actually drive down energy costs and to kind of rein them in is to go to a fully electric, fully renewable future. And you, when you talk to utilities, they say that's that's not on the immediate horizon. They need some time to roll that out. And I think there's an interesting push and pull there. The legislature is certainly taking a look at different ways to reduce greenhouse gas, gas emissions this year to enshrine some of the goals that the governor wants to. Uh, accomplish in law. And then there's some interesting bills that maybe are a little on the periphery that I think are kind of fascinating. One would require uh, home warranty uh, offer, offers, uh, programs or businesses to uh, let you replace your gas equipment with electric ones. And there was a lot of pushback on that from Republicans, even though there was no mandate involved. But I think it kind of is an, a sign of you know just how contentious these things are. Different parts of Colorado use different energy sources. There's a lot of consternation and, and anxiety about what the future looks like. And just a simple change like this you know, certainly had a lot of pushback.
0: Let's go around the table and talk about some of the good that happened this week, some of the bad, and we will
1: start with you, Patty. So we have the Fair Election Fund. We've heard some different complaints. One of the ramifications of it is candidates, if you're a mayoral candidate, you have to be in two official debates. If you're a city council candidate, you have to be in one that's recognized by the Fair Election Fund. The one in District 9 was set on Monday during city council meeting, which is gonna be a problem anyway. Incumbent Chris Hines went. It was at the Cleo Parker Robinson dance studio which is not wheelchair accessible on the stage. And he is wheelchair bound. So the fact that an incumbent council person had to leave the city council meeting if he were gonna get his funding through fair election funds and then wound up having to crawl onto the stage is a really bad look for this city. And it went national.
2: George. Yeah, listen, just to piggyback on that, you know, uh, my son is actually ironically uh, shopping for a new wheelchair right now. So that story really infuriated me as a father who wants his son to maintain as much dignity as possible. Uh, the bad news for me was when I had to fill up gas on my way to King Supers to buy eggs, those two events caused me to use a lot of profanity, and then I realized my 13-year-old was with me, I forgot to do the earmuffs.
3: I had a pretty good week. I'm trying to stay positive, but I have been thinking a lot about the Park Hill golf course, separately from the debate over conservation and development. I missed that golf course. It was the only one where I could get a decent score at, and so I'm kind of sad every time I go golfing, I, I. I I need that ego boost back.
0: Or driving up Colorado Boulevard and seeing all the balls in the road.
3: Or, yeah, dodging them when you're driving. Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: Good times. Uh, You know, I'll go with the Park Hill Golf Course as well. I think it's really negative that we, I believe, have had studies done. um, And for whatever reason, those studies are not credible about what the folks around that area really do want for that golf course and how it's delivered delivered, um, or, or, uh, developed. Um, I do think it's inevitable that something's going to happen with it because it's just the way of it. That's the nature of the beast. But I, I just am saddened that we just seem to be putting the cart before the horse here. Um, we're, we're setting this thing to the ballot for a yes or no on a removal of, um, of, of maintaining it, uh, as it is this piece of land to Patty's point earlier. Um, and I, I just feel like it's, permeating the area that people have no idea what the opportunities are and like the actual residents haven't really been polled you know and everyone else will be deciding for them hmm patty something good
1: well it's good dia is going to get some new art you know we dia from the start has been part of the one percent for art program so one percent of construction costs have bought all the art out of dia whether you love it or hate it lucifer and the gargoyles that watch over the baggage area. And they've just approved three more pieces. And one piece of art that most people don't realize is an original commission is the train noise and the train message, the music and the message. And they just changed the message, finally, with Michael Hancock's voice, Alerting passengers that they are going into a construction zone and to be patient. I've wondered for years why they we didn't do this and we finally did, so good for the city and the airport for truth and advertising. For trying. So the little jingle is what is that's the art. Well and so was the message originally. Yes. So when okay. you wanted to change the message you had to have the artist do it. But that's no longer the case. Okay.
2: Uh, the good news was this. A bipartisan group of district attorneys got together some months ago to join a program being run out of DU to try to take a look at demographic numbers and the impact of the prosecution decisions and sentencing that gets made. A report rolled out yesterday. It's gotten a little bit of attention that talks about, hey, there are some real discrepancies here that need to be looked at. I think we've gotten to the
3: what happened. Now we need to discuss the how and the why and the way forward. I think that's positive.
0: Jesse, what's something good that happened this week?
3: Pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training. I'm excited- Excited to watch the Rockies lose again in oh. downtown
0: Denver. you with that <laughs> smile. It's a good thing though. It means that maybe spring is on the way sometime. Yeah, right? hope
3: spring's eternal. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good for
4: you and my fiance. I'm just like, please don't turn on boring baseball. I'm sorry, like, oh no, oh, no. <laughs> I'm a hater. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think for me, the good is um, the unveiling of the Herman Malone-, Malone Fund through the Denver Office of Economic Development and Opportunity. I think it's a really, uh, innovative thing to use um, Money that we taxed from uh, Marijuana dispensaries uh, to shore up small businesses. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how that money gets dispersed
0: And how quickly do you know how they're going to do that or
4: no? I think that they're just in the um, preliminary stages okay. of, of gathering businesses and and kind of uh, Vetting them to be a part of that uh, Fund so moving forward. Yeah, we love good. that story. Mm-hmm. All right,
0: Thanks you all for coming tonight, George especially. Thank you for bringing (laughs) your sunshine. Uh, And thank you for watching everybody tonight as well. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, You can always catch Colorado Inside Out on PBS12.org and streaming on YouTube as well. And just to let you know, on Sunday, February 26th, Colorado Inside Out is airing a Denver mayoral forum. It will air between 5 and 6.30. Again, not this weekend, the last Sunday of the month. We will remind you. But hey, if you have any questions that you'd like us to share with maybe some of the mayoral candidates, please send them our way at cio at pbs12.org. Maybe we'll include your question in the forum. Thank you for watching. I'm Kyle Dyer. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week here on PBS 12.